Good morning. Welcome again to South Suburban Christian Church. Thank you for joining us online. However you're joining us, we are grateful that you've come here today. Today we're beginning uh, the season of Lent. I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. Uh, but over the next uh, six Sundays, we'll be observing this season of Lent. Five Sundays in Lent proper, and then Palm Sunday, which is the week uh, before we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, commonly known as Easter. And so uh, we're glad that you're here. We'll hope uh, that you join us for especially these next five sermons, as uh, we'll be in, there, in, in our special series, uh, Out of the Ashes. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. I'm going to be reading today as we begin the story of Adam and Eve, but specifically from chapter 3, which is the first sin that was uh, committed, a sin that has reverberated down through the centuries. So if you have your Bibles, would encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 15 and then verses 20 and 21. So if you have your Bibles, let's read together as we look at Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly shall you go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." And then to verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. 
Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. Well, as I said to you just a few moments ago, today is the first Sunday of Lent. The word Lent actually comes from an old English word, Lenten, which literally means to lengthen. And so it's merely just a word about the lengthening of days. And the church said amen to that. Lent is a season of 40 days, and that number 40 occurs over and over and over again in the Bible. 40 years, 40 days. It is a time of preparation. It's a time of prayer. It's a time of repentance. It's a time for the church, for you, uh, for me to be in particular emphasis and focus on where we are, who we are, whose we are, as we get ready to celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Lent actually begins on Ash Wednesday, which we observed just a few days ago. Ash Wednesday gets its name because on that day, uh, lots of churches will make the sign of the cross on uh, the forehead. We did it on the back of the hand because of social distancing. Uh, From the ash, from these ashes that themselves are very specific and carry a very powerful meaning. These ashes that are used are made from the burning of the palm branches from last Palm Sunday. So Palm Sunday, when the church celebrates the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem, as we lined the streets and and waved palm branches and laid our cloaks down and, and proclaimed, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those palm branches, which were a municipal symbol, a symbol of the city of Jerusalem, on the on the very crest and coinage of Jerusalem were a sense of, <clears throat> of civic pride. And those palm branches, those, those palm branches that were waved by those people who would in just a week, less than six, five days later, would turn their cheers from blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to the words crucify him, crucify him. You see, those palm branches are a sign to us of our rebellion, of our stubbornness. Those palm branches are a sign that too often we as individuals, as communities, as churches, as as nations, as, as people want to receive God on our terms rather than welcoming God into our lives, into the presence of creation on God's terms. Those palm branches are a sign of our own rebellion, our own stubbornness, our own sin. And so does those palm branches that we burn and the ashes of which we place on our foreheads as a sign of our need for repentance, our sign that we need God's grace and mercy that God gives to us freely through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Now in this series, over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at several incidences in scripture predominantly around people's lives who have found themselves up to their neck in ashes they have experienced the profound impact of brokenness of sin of rebellion in their life and we're going to be looking at what god does in the midst of those people throughout the pages of scripture from the old testament on into the new testament and today we've read the account that begins it all the account of Adam and Eve, oftentimes called here in chapter 3 the story of the fall or, or the story of Adam and Eve's disobedience to not only God's commands, but God's will for their life. 
And that act of disobedience ushers in a world that is fallen, that is broken. From from that act, the church has taught, uh, the entirety of creation finds itself in the midst of brokenness, where death reigns supreme. Now, that, that, it's not just a bunch of, of, of old folks in some musty, dark room of some ancient cathedral that thought this up. That understanding of this scene comes from the Bible itself, from the New Testament, as a matter of fact, from the writing of the Apostle Paul, when in chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all, because all sinned. You see, this one man is Adam. And because of that act of rebellion, not only is the human race now under this bondage and oppression of death and brokenness and rebellion, but all of creation has been impacted as well. Did you know that demographers, people who study trends and, <clears throat> and numbers and populations, um, they estimate that since the beginning of recorded history, approximately 108 billion people have lived. Now, now if, you, if you do a quick Google search, you'll find that Earth's population is somewhere around 7.6 billion that are currently alive today, which means roughly 101 billion people have died since the beginning of recorded history. <laughs> the Spanish flu, the epidemic that hit uh, the world in the early 20th century, killed somewhere between 20 and 40 million people in just a few years, worldwide. The plague, you know, the Black Death, killed somewhere between 20 and 25 million people through the course of several decades, perhaps a little over a century. World War II claimed the lives of 56 million soldiers and civilians on all sides. The worst natural disaster in recorded human history is the Yellow River Flood of 1887 and 1931 in what we know today to be China. In the course of those two floods, in 1887 and 1931, six million people lost their lives. Did you know that every person who has died was born (laughs) and we can safely assume that given that the lord tarries if he doesn't come back today or over the next hundred or so years that every single person who is alive on the planet today will die i will die my children will die you and your family will die as well Our mortality is relentless. And that is the impact of an act that happened at the very beginning of time when Adam and Eve were confronted by a representative of the powers of darkness. And it is an appropriate place to begin this season of Lent. The first point that I want to share with you is doubt and confusion are the weapons of choice 
of the powers of darkness. Now, I want you to open your Bibles back up again because I'm going to show you some things that oftentimes gets lost when I have read stories in the popular press or the secular press about, about uh, Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 and the, the, the story of Adam and Eve. So, so let's look at this really quickly to, to, to be able to look at this point that doubt and confusion are the weapons that the powers of darkness use. So the serpent says in chapter 3, beginning in about midway through verse uh, 1, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You you see, that's the first moment when we are called to doubt the motivations of our Creator. When we are called into a state of confusion by the prince of lies about our role our purpose, and the love that God says that He has for us. Did God actually say that you could not eat of any of the trees in the garden? It's one of those statements that we are more likely to hear in a press pool that's trying to catch up a politician or a noted leader in the community. It's the kind of thing that we would say to someone and when we actually know the truth, but we're trying to, to sow a bit of confusion, a bit of doubt to see if we can trip up the one with whom we're having the debate or the argument. It, it, it's not a method that is honest. It's not a method that has integrity. And it is a method that was authored by the powers of darkness themselves. This serpent asks a question that he knows is not a true statement of what God had said. But if that's bad enough, it gets worse because as the woman, she's not named yet, as the woman responds to the serpent, this is her response back to him. In verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, if the the question uh, offered by the serpent would be graded on an A to an F scale, we'd give that question a solid F. It is intentionally and morally misleading. If we were to grade the woman's response to the serpent, we'd give her a C. Because even in her response back to the charge, which she knows is a charge that is misleading, she doesn't recount what the truth is. She indeed says to the serpent, we can eat of the trees here in the garden, but of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, we cannot eat of it. So far, we're good. Nor may we touch it, lest we die. Now, let me bring some clarity to the whole thing. If you have your Bible still open, flip back, if you will, to chapter 2, verse 16. Because in chapter 2, verse 16, we'll read what God actually said about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Did you, did, 
Did you pick up on that? Nowhere in God's statement did he say that we couldn't touch it. He just said we couldn't eat it. When the woman responds to the serpent's foolish and misleading charge, she has some truth in there, but she adds something to God's Word that God never said. You might say that that was the first example of the bondage of human rules, of human laws that Jesus warred against so mightily in His own ministry that we tend to pile things onto what God has said that God never said. Making these laws that supposedly come from God more oppressive, more life-sucking, more life-draining, rather than life-giving, which was the intent of the Creator. You see, the serpent's misleading comments to Eve were an effort to remind her that she wasn't worthy. Have you ever experienced that? How many times haven't we sat at the end of a day that has been particularly long and draining and said, I'm a horrible father. I'm an impatient mother. I'm not good enough for this woman who is my wife. I'm not good enough for this man who is my husband. I am not worthy of these things. I am not loved. I am not trusted. I don't have the ability to do what is required of me. I, I don't have the ability to have healthy and wholesome relationships. I, I can't seem to hold a job. I, I can't control my money. And each time we recount to ourselves our created unworthiness. And in so often doing, we relegate ourselves to mediocrity. You see, that's the importance of those ashes that we placed upon our bodies just a few days ago on Ash Wednesday. That's the importance of these ashes that we're focusing on to a point. For they remind us that we are warring against our very nature and not our worth. You see, nowhere in the Scriptures does God say we're not worthy. As a matter of fact, God believes that you and I are so worthy that He sends His only Son to bear the weight of our brokenness, our rebellion, and our sin on the cross. You and I, in the eyes of our loving Creator, are so worthy that He bore the brunt of human sin and accepted the penalty of death so that you and I could have life. You are worthy. And it's not just a preacher that says that to you, but it is the God of the universe. It is your Creator that says that to you. You are worthy. And that is why I have come to redeem you. Out of the ashes, I will lift you up. You know, I think that what occurs next in the incident that is recorded here in Genesis 3 is also powerful. It's my second point for you today. Point two, fear drives us away from God. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I always heard and read that the reason Adam and Eve hid after they ate of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil was because they were ashamed. They were ashamed of their nakedness. But again, we always want to go to Scripture. We want to see what the Bible says. And if you begin reading in chapter 3, verse 8, we see again this incident that happens. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Adam and Eve hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. And God calls out, where are you? And the man says, I heard the sound. This is verse 10. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now listen, I, I, I know that you, you may be the person, well, it may say afraid, but it means ashamed. Or the reason that they were afraid is because they were ashamed. And, and I understand this to a point. As a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 25... Uh, of Genesis, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed, is what it says in chapter 2, verse 25. So it's, it's easy to make the leap, and, 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 and I don't want to, to, to argue with you too much over this. If you want to say that it's because of shame, <clears throat> then we can have that conversation. But I just want to suggest as, as gracefully and as humbly as I can that chapter 3, verse 10, never mentions shame. It mentions fear. You see, I think it's fear that drives us away from God. Now, 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 shame may be a part of that, but fear is the principal emotion that I want to address with you for just a moment. Now, now why would I want to double down on this? Well, predominantly because if you go to uh, the book of Psalms, in Psalms chapter 8, verse 5, you'll read <clears throat> that the psalmist says that you and I are created a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor. Now, now, several weeks ago, maybe even longer, I was talking about uh, the glory of God. And I was referencing uh, how God's glory is overwhelming, that God's glory comes upon us and is overwhelming. And the incident that I was recounting to you in, in a sermon many weeks ago was how when the writer was recording the Hebrew people after they had left Egypt, wandering in the desert, gathering around the tabernacle, how the glory of God descended upon them. And that glory was present with them in the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. This glory is the same word that's used here in the book of Psalms, chapter 8, verse 5. And what it could really uh, be, be translated or rendered is, is that not, not just that we've been crowned with glory as, as if it's just some hat or headpiece uh, celebrating our kingliness or our queenliness as created beings. It could really be translated, we are surrounded by glory and honor. We are immersed in glory and honor. Are you ready? Or we are clothed with glory and honor. You see, I think that that's one of the keys to understanding this text in Genesis chapter 3. The psalmist says that when we were created, we were clothed with glory 
and honor. And so when this happens, and this man and this woman rebel against God and eat of this fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they cast off that clothing of glory and honor. That is, they are no longer reflecting back to God the glory and honor in which God had created them. The original purpose for their life. The original purpose for the creation. Pay attention to this because this is going to come up in our next point. You see, I think that when they were able to see their nakedness, when they tore off the the glory and the honor and, and the image of the one true God in which they had been created, they realized their vulnerability. They realized that without God, they were nothing. They realized that without God's glory and honor in their life, their life was without meaning. How many of us feel like that? How many of us know people who experience that emotion every day? Where's my meaning? Where's my purpose? You see, without the glory and honor, without being clothed with the glory and honor of God, the psalmist says, it's quite understandable that we would sink into fear. You see, those ashes remind us that too often we want to meet God on our merits instead of our deprivation. Too often we want to meet God out of our strengths instead of our weaknesses. Too often we want to come to God out of our power rather than recognizing our poverty. Which brings me to my third point. When God called this man and this woman out of their ashes, when God calls us out of our ashes, we are given a new name and a new purpose. You see, it's not by accident that the first time we see this woman's name is after she has been called out of her ashes. You you can go read it. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. She's always referred to as the woman up until God lifts her out of those ashes. Verse 20. Then the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, if you go back and you read all of those verses just prior to verse 20, you'll see what I have often thought of to be sort of a humorous exchange. When when God recognizes that Adam and Eve have disobeyed, He asks Adam, have you eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And uh, uh, before, before the man says yes or no, he immediately puts the blame back on the God. The woman, that's duck number one, that you gave me, that's duck number two. She gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. You see, that's the human tactic, isn't it? To not want to be responsible. To not be able to to say, yes, it was my own poverty, my own deprivation, my own weakness. To come to God in honesty and humility and rawness and to allow God to make us new. 
And, and it's not just a man thing, although that's a pretty man thing to do, because then God goes to, to, to the woman, and he asks the woman, have you done this? And she says, the serpent beguiled me. The serpent is the one who deceived me, and I ate. And then God goes <clears throat> to the author of darkness, to the author of lies, to the author of deception, and says to the serpent, this is your judgment. And then he declares the first hint of the gospel of redemption. I will put enmity between your seed and the woman's seed. He shall bruise your head. If you've got a King James Version, I think it says, He shall crush your head. And you shall bruise His heel. You see, after all of those judgments, after all of that pronouncement, after all of those things that just seem to be more and more ash that come up beyond our necks and seek to cover our very heads, God reaches down and pulls Adam and Eve out of those ashes. And in that moment, they're given a new name and a new purpose. Eve especially. In many ways, the heroine of this story. Because out of her brokenness, God declares to her through the voice of her husband, you have a new name, my daughter, Eve. Now, Eve doesn't mean mother. It's oftentimes confused with that. Eve means living. Did you catch that? Because you see, it's out of the ashes. When God steps in, it's out of death that God brings life. And he declares it in this woman's name. You are Eve. You are living. And she will be the mother of all who have lived. You see, the ashes remind us that we will rise again, not by our own strength, but by that of Jesus Christ who lifts us up out of the ashes and gives us a new name. And you think I'm just making that up? The prophet Isaiah in 56 verse 5, I will give in my house a name better than that of sons and daughters. Again in chapter 62 verse 2, and you will be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will designate. And in Isaiah 65, 15, my servants will be called by another name. And at that great ending of, of this wonderful story of God's love for all of creation and humanity, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, to the one who overcomes, I will give a new name written on the stone. And in chapter 3, verse 12, to the one who overcomes, I will write on that one the name of my God, my new name. And then Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. You see, Eve was named after she was pulled from the ashes of her rebellion. She was given a name. And she was given a purpose. And that, brothers and sisters, as we go through this season, as we remember the ashes on our foreheads, as we remember the life of rebellion that too often we find ourselves in, up to our neck in ashes, we will see over the coming weeks that indeed the pain and the death is real, but in every single case, God is bringing life. And that life will have a big old exclamation point on Resurrection Sunday. 
But we're not there yet. So are you ready to begin this journey? Together as the people of God. Through the ashes of life. To the life and the name that God gives us. If you haven't made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, would you do that today? Would you say yes to this question? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and do you accept Him as Lord and Savior? Nothing more, nothing less. Allow God to pull you out of the ashes of life, give you a new name and a new purpose, as together we serve for His glory. If you've made that decision today, will you let us know by clicking on the button, if you're on our online.church platform, that you have just received Christ. If you're watching or listening on any of our other social media uh, or our website or any other platform, send us an email at office at southsuburban.com so that together we may celebrate with you the new name and new purpose God has called us to. And the whole church throughout the ages and the ages to come say, Amen. And amen.